That's right, indeed. It is the Bitterness and Rage Show. I'm Rob, King of Bitterness, Emperor of Rage. Welcome to my third show, everybody. If you had two shows before he gave it up and quit in your bitterness and rage pool, you lost. So it is the third show. It is Sunday. Happy Sunday to all of you. Uh, let's see. Who do we have today? What are we talking about today on the show? We got, of course, you can't go five minutes anymore without talking about Donald Sterling. want to do a little Richard Sherman rap, speaking of Donald Sterling. Uh, NFL draft was a couple weeks ago, so I have some leftovers here. Maybe we talk about Michael Sam, perhaps the disappearance of the running back in the NFL draft, and a note on Jadavian Clowney, the overall number one pick in the draft. Some Andre Johnson talk, a little Steve Kerr to the Golden State Warriors opinion. Uh, we're going to debut a new feature, too, uh, some fast food news. That name stinks, so I need some help, some feedback from you all. For a better name. And then, of course, the Dope of the Week. Although, I know it's been like two weeks since the last show. Sue me. Okay, the Dope of the Week. Before we go on, let me remind you, you can reach me a number of different ways until we can actually get some call-in happening here. I'm on Twitter, at Bitter and Rage, at Bitter and Rage. Uh, you can reach me on the Facebook. There's a Bitterness and Rage fan page. Fan page. It sounds so fabulous, doesn't it? My millions of fans clamoring out there for more show business McNuggets. And email. Yes, that's right. I'm dragging myself further and further into the 21st century. Bitterness and rage. you got to spell out the and. They don't like ampersands over at Gmail. So it's bitternessandrage at gmail.com. Bitternessandrage at gmail.com. Comments, criticisms, critiques, hopes, dreams, fears, whatever it is. Also, um, on your Twitter machines, hashtag, God, I hate the hashtag, but it's a necessity. Hashtag BNR Dope, or excuse me, hashtag BNR Show Dope. If you'd like to nominate someone, other than me, of course, as the Bitterness and Rage Show Dope of the Week, that would be great. I want to begin, though, before we dive headfirst into Lake Sterling, just a word about Bruce Boudreau as the NHL playoffs continue their inevitable march toward June and the inevitable march toward perhaps one, maybe two original six teams uh, in the NHL finals. Bruce Boudreau, the coach of the Anaheim Ducks, there are a lot of capital fans like myself who are also Bruce Boudreau haters. Excuse me, there are haters that complain about people complaining about Bruce Boudreau, if that makes any sense. Let me just say this about Gabby, Bruce Boudreau, affectionately named Gabby, because he loves to talk, usually obscenities. The Ducks, a higher seed in Los Angeles Kings, were ousted at home a couple nights ago, 6-2. to two. Game 7, at home, the pressure's on. You would think you, had, they were, you were down 2 nothing if you are the Ducks. Then you come back and win three in a row, and the series is all yours, yours to lose, which, of course, you did, Bruce. You lose game six to the Kings. Okay, no big sin. It was in their place. It's hard to win in another person's building, especially in the NHL, where home field or advantage, or I should say home ice advantage is an actual thing. But you lost. And not only did you lose game seven, but it was an utter collapse. What a dumpster fire that game was. You were down 3 nothing after the first 
period. Way to come out strong. And this is not the first time that a Bruce Boudreaux team, a Bruce Boudreaux coach team, has lost a game seven at home when they're the higher seed. And not just lose, but lose in spectacular fashion. To wit, since 2007, uh, there's been six times that a Bruce Boudreaux coach team has made it to game seven. And six of those, out of those six times, five, they've been a big loser. And here's the other common denominator. 2007, 8, 9, 12, and 13, those seasons, they were all first in their division. And I realize that some of those were first in the former poo-poo platter Southeast Division of the NHL, which sort of was the junior varsity of the National Hockey League. But in 2009, the Caps, the 2009-2010 version, they were the President's Trophy winner. They had the most points. They had that dynamic, erstwhile greatest player in the NHL, Alex Ovechkin. And as I recall in that season, in Game 7 with the pressure on against the mighty Pittsburgh Penguins, how are they doing? In the playoffs, anybody got the score of that uh, Game Seven Pittsburgh, New York Ranger game? I, I don't know. I you know the show isn't done daily, so I can't talk about those things as if they were new. But in that Game Seven in 2010, the 2009-2010 playoffs, again, not only did the Caps lose, but they went out in spectacularly bad fashion. I think I also believe they were down 3 nothing after one period. But the game was over in the first few minutes. The puck dropped, and at that point, it was pretty much a done deal. The Caps were going to spend another summer at home. So maybe it isn't Bruce Boudreaux and his inability to get along with Al Ovechkin or other star players. Maybe it's not the... It's Alex Ovechkin. Maybe, just maybe, it's Bruce Boudreaux. So all you haters out there that think... Us Cap fans gave Bruce Boudreaux a hard time. Maybe, just maybe, and I'm just spitballing here. Maybe it was actually Bruce Boudreaux. All right, on to our good friend Donnie Tokowitz. On May the 12th, he had an interview with Anderson Cooper, the great Anderson Cooper. Um, several days. I mean, we're talking a while here since the comments that he made were made public by the dreamy V. Stiviano. And I would just say, first, why wait so long? What's the deal on that? Although he does address that in his in his interview with Cooper. He doesn't address why he waited so long, but it wasn't good enough. And I'm not even going to bother getting into why he waited so long. Was it an apology? Did he take this time to really make an apology? I mean, he said a lot of things, including that he wasn't a racist. I, I'll wait for the laughter to subside now that I've said that. And, uh, of course, he attacked Magic Johnson... Uh, for being a terrible role model uh, by having AIDS and what a terrible example he sets for children. A lot of hypocrisy there. Um, I'm not really going to get into that either, at least at the moment. Um, I mean, he was clearly wrong. It's not really the right context for that. There's no real comparison to saying you don't want blacks at your basketball games to somebody who went out and contracted a terrible disease. No matter how he contracted it, the man's got a disease. I mean, we're not going to start making fun of people and calling people out because they have diseases. But I'd like to go over the Donald Tokowitz greatest hits from this interview. The man is clearly delusional. And I'm not going to read to you the actual interview, but I just want to read you some of the highlights, or as I said, the greatest hits. Uh, he says several times that he's not a racist. Now, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I do know what racism is. It's, it's clearly 
uh, denigrating and putting down um, another person solely because they don't happen to have the same skin color or perhaps the same religion as you. And that's putting it mildly. He says he's not a racist. He says the owners love him and the players love him. Is he talking about NBA owners? Maybe he means the NFL owners love him, and we're going to get to that in the next segment. And maybe the NFL players love him. Maybe the NHL players love him. Who knows? But, again, owners love me. He said this repeatedly. Owners love me. The players love me. He said he was baited into saying what he said, and that it was jealousy, not racism. Jealousy, racism, they seem synonymous. I don't know. You judge for yourself. Uh, The owners don't want him out. Again, I'm not sure what owners he's referring to. Uh, People call me by the thousands to support me. By the thousands. That's a lot of time spent on the phone there, Donnie. Thousands and thousands. It's funny how not one of them will come on publicly and not one of them happens to own or even work for a National Basketball Association franchise. Um, I treat my players with respect. Again, I wish I had a laugh track for that one. I'm not sure what respect means then. Maybe I need to go back and read the dictionary. Um, Again, I'm not the smartest person in the world, I admit that, but perhaps I need to go back and look at some of these words like racism and respect. Uh, Some more comedy gold from Donnie Tokowitz. Um, Anderson Cooper is a racist with a plantation mentality. That's good. Turn the interview back around on the interviewer. That always works well for people. It's the media's fault, the dreaded media. When in doubt, friends, if you ever find yourself in the public spotlight and you've done something or said something or if you're Tokowitz, both the Daily Double, you've said and done something stupid, it's always a good idea if we can go to Media Relations 101, excuse me, always a good idea to blame the media. Because the media is always to blame when you do something wrong. When you do something right and the media covers it, it has nothing to do with the media. But when you do something wrong and the media dares to do its job, it's their fault. Blame the media. Always a good idea. Um, He does that super old man thing. Where he calls AIDS, quote, those AIDS. Yep. You went out and get yourself those AIDS. I don't want to make fun of him anymore. I'm actually kind of exhausted now from making fun of him so much. But let's get back to your Donald Sterling. You've just pretty much sealed your fate by saying some incredibly insensitive and stupid things. And I'm sure somebody said to him, you know, you may want to do some damage control. It's probably too late, but you may want to do just a smidgen of damage control. This was not the way to do it. I mean, yes, going and, and getting an interview with Anderson Cooper is incredibly respected. Maybe the way to go about doing it, the way to the proper forum to get your opinions out there, to get your apology out there, to start your rehabilitation. But what you said, I mean, you might as well have released this interview. Any owner that was on the fence about whether or not to vote you out is clearly not only off the fence, but they're back in the house thinking about who the next owner is going to be. I mean, if you just played this interview for people, forget the conversation that V. Stiviano released. If you just played this interview, you'd know what a nut job racist this guy was, and you'd want to vote him out. So this is not the way to do it. But in the interest of fairness, I will say this, um, not everybody, maybe this is one of the thousands of people that Sterling claims supports him. Not everybody, apparently, thinks that Sterling is completely off his rocker. 
Joyce Carol Oates, uh, American author, Princeton University professor. I've heard of Princeton. It's a pretty pretty good college, from what I hear. Maybe an Ivy League school. Who knows? She was also nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. That's a pretty high honor. So she's no dope. She's not the dope of the week. Uh, spoiler alert, it's not Joyce Carol Oates. But she went to, where else? The Twitter machine. To support... And I, I, for those of you watching on TV at home, I'm, I'm excuse me, not watching on TV at home. I'm putting my fingers up in the air quote sign. Supports Donnie T. Uh, let me just read a couple of, the, of her tweets. Uh, nostalgia for time when one could say anything in private, no matter how stupid, cruel, self-serving, or plain wrong, and not be criminalized. Next tweet. Am I the only person in the United States surprised that a private conversation, no matter how ugly, can be the basis for such public recrimination. Sorry to use the word recrimination on a sports uh, broadcast. I don't know what it means either. I'm going to look that up along with respect and racism. Hey, the three R's. Respect, racism, recrimination. Uh, this era of ever-vigilant social media and NSA surveillance may one day be seen as the end of, again, I'm, for those not watching on TV, I'm holding up my fingers in the air quote sign. Free speech in America happened so quickly. Uh, no hashtags in the... Uh, Joyce Carol Oates Twitter. Um, that's at Joyce Carol Oates if you want to respond to what she said here. And uh, let's see, one more. Would or could ACLU today defend Nazis' right or right, again, air quotes, not watching at home on TV, to march through Skokie, Illinois, real test of principle versus extreme backlash? So apparently not everyone thinks that what Sterling said is wrong, but that's one person. So just to be fair, just to be fair, some people that are not part of the Sterling family, some people that don't want the team back, uh, think that uh, what he did wasn't that bad. All right, speaking of Sterling, uh, let's go to another person that stays out of the spotlight. Richard Sherman, cornerback of the world champion Seattle Seahawks, said in an interview with Time Magazine, well, let me, let me step back just a second. Uh, May 6th or May 5th, I believe, uh, Dick Sherman here signed a $56 million contract extension. Well worth it. He's one of the best in the NFL, uh, no doubt about it. But on May 7th, he gives an interview with Time Magazine. Uh, and part of the interview with Time Magazine was, of course, and because this is still fresh, uh, they wanted to talk to, to Sherman about the Donald Sterling mess. And he was being interviewed by Sean Gregory of Time Magazine. And this is on timemagazine.com, or just, excuse me, time.com. The question was, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver banned Donald Sterling for life. Do you think if an NFL owner made similar comments, would Commissioner Roger Goodell react in the same way? And do you think an owner would be banned for life? And Dick says, no, I don't. Because we have an NFL team called the Redskins. I don't think the NFL really is as concerned as they show. The NFL is more of a bottom line league. If it doesn't affect their bottom line, they're not as concerned. Okay. We'll get to those comments in a moment. Let's talk about the timing of all this. This was after he signed his big extension. I'm not suggesting that he doesn't really feel this way. I'm not suggesting that this, he's not passionate about race relations and how the NFL treats racism, real or imagined. But why after the contract extension? Would he have said the same thing to Time Magazine? when he was still in the negotiations for a contract extension. Timing is everything in life. Perception is everything in life. So I, I, I question the timing of this. 
uh, it's safe to say these things once you've gotten the money. Before you have the money, then it's a lot bolder and less open to criticism. All right, let's see what he says here again. The NFL is more of a bottom line league. Every league is more of a bottom line league. Name me one business that isn't concerned, one for profit business that is not concerned about their finances. But I don't know that I would walk that plank and say the NFL isn't concerned about racism because they're concerned about money. And also, I don't know that, and full disclosure, I'm a Washingtonian. Love the Redskins. I bleed burgundy and gold. I will tell you that I also believe the name should be changed as long as they don't come up with a name that's dumb. I think they should keep all the colors and the tradition and the history and somehow the logo and maybe another Native American-themed name that's not offensive or maybe stay away from Native American names altogether. Who knows? So I take this issue pretty seriously, but I don't know that comparing the Redskins' name to what Donald Sterling said is fair to anyone. It's not fair to Adam Silver, commissioner of the NBA. It's not fair to Clippers players and management and personnel. It's not fair to NBA fans. It's not fair to the Shield, the NFL, or Roger Goodell. It is not the same thing. Would he have said this? What does, would Sherman have thought this if one of the NFL owners, not named Daniel Snyder, had said the same thing? Is he saying that because there's a team called the Redskins that if one of the other owners, say his owner, say the owner of the Seahawks, say Paul Allen, owner of the Seahawks, said these things about black players coming to his game, does he really think the NFL would take no action? So I don't think that was fair. And I don't think it was as gutsy as people imagine because it was said after he signed a contract for $56 million, a big chunk of that guaranteed. All right, let's move on, speaking of guts, to the NFL draft that took place you know, less than two weeks ago. I don't want to go through people that grade drafts. It's so silly, isn't it? And yes, I'm using the word silly. These players have not played a second of professional tackle football. So how do you know? I mean, you can grade on potential. You can grade on did they fill needs. I'm not here to do that. And, not, and quite frankly, the show's not long enough to go through them all. I'll leave that for the Kuipers and McShays and Mayocks of the world to grade drafts. But I just have a few leftovers. And uh, I want to start with Michael Sam, the first openly gay player drafted into the NFL. He'll be the first openly gay player to uh, hopefully to play uh, football in the National Football League. He was drafted in the seventh round by the St. Louis Rams and their very progressive coach, Jeff Fisher. Jeff Fisher is certainly a good coach uh, for Michael Sam. He was a good fit for Michael Sam. He played at the University of Missouri, and now he's not going too far from where he had great success, and he was the SEC Co-Defensive Player of the Year. And, of course, as an aside, when you think Southeastern Conference, the first state you think of is Missouri, smack dab in the middle of the Midwest. But at another time, perhaps we'll talk about why they should just put all college football teams, all Division One, not FBS, sorry, put all the Division One college football teams into a bag, pick out 16 or so, and name them Conference One, Conference Two, all this geographic mishigas doesn't matter anymore. So he's drafted by the St. Louis Rams. Um, it's great for the NFL. It's great for society. It is a big step. All kidding aside, this is a big step 
for the NFL, for professional sports, for society. But let's just pump the brakes just a smidge. This is not Jackie Robinson. This is not the 2014 version of Jackie Robinson. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on the differences, but it's really not the same thing. And it, shouldn't, it should be celebrated. Yes, this is an achievement. It's an achievement for both Michael Sam and for the National Football League, and hopefully other sports follow. But it's not Jackie Robinson. And this man is not... We shouldn't raise this accomplishment to the same level. And we can get into that some other time. But let's remember, my friends, let's scrape away all of the societal good and all the forward progressiveness of this very 21st century accomplishment. He's a seventh round draft pick. And everything now is going to be tainted by the idea that every decision that is made, everything that happens to him is because he is openly gay. But let's take all that aside. He's a seventh round draft pick. He's a seven, he was the seventh defensive lineman taken. And I'm not going to suggest that, again, he was taken in the seventh round because he was gay. He was taken in the seventh round because his pro day wasn't all that great. There were some questions about how good a defensive lineman he was. There were some questions whether or not he got most of those sacks because Coy Early on the, excuse me, on the other side was getting most of the attention. But let me ask you this. Here's the big question. And again, gather around your radios, kids. What if he stinks? What if Michael Sam, as an NFL professional defensive lineman, stinks? I mean, stinks out loud. What if what they said about him is true? He's a tweener. There is no real position for him. He can't play in space. He can't play well when there's not a dominant player also on the defensive line, although in, with uh, the St. Louis Rams, there's a, he's got uh, Quinn and Long there, so he'll have other players that can draw the attention. But can he be cut? At least before the first, or during the preseason, before the first regular season game, what will the reaction be? And I say what will the reaction be, meaning are the St. Louis Rams headed for a firestorm of criticism if they cut him, because the immediate thought is going to be you cut him because he's gay. Well, why would they have drafted him in the first place? Let's just remember, he was drafted. He deserved to be drafted. There is a place for him as a draft pick. But there may not be a place for him in the NFL. And I don't want to see the Rams or anybody, any other team pressured into keeping this guy around if he's not good for the football team because we're afraid that, or they're afraid that people like me and other people out there that put their voice on tape for other people to listen to are going to accuse them of being homophobic. I mean, did the other teams that passed on Michael Sam, and he was seven picks from the end, so he was almost at the end of the draft before he was picked, did the other teams pass on him because they didn't have a need for an undersized defensive lineman, a tweener, or because they were homophobic? I'm going to guess it's because it's from a football standpoint, he wasn't the best fit for their team. So... Whatever happens to him from now on, let us just for a moment say they're football reasons. Forget the distractions in the locker room. Distractions. The NFL is filled with distractions. Filled with distractions. Uh, filled with guys like Greg Hardy for the New York Jets who just got himself in trouble. Hey, filled with guys like Robert Mathis of the Colts who's going to be suspended for the first four games for using performance-enhancing drugs. This is no distraction compared to that. 
I mean, this the NFL is it's filled with distractions. So let's not get use that as an excuse for oh, well, we can't draft this guy because it's going to be too much of a locker room distraction. Please get out of here. But let's just remember football reasons. There football there was football reasons why he was taken. Although if you're the Rams, the publicity doesn't doesn't hurt that you were so progressive. But there are football reasons, folks. Football reasons. Finally, I just want to say about the kiss, big deal. Okay, uh, let the man celebrate. I mean, I think anybody that shows any kiss, it's going to look awkward. When Jan Vesely was drafted by the Washington Wizards a few years ago, they made a big deal about the woman that he was kissing. And it wasn't because he was kissing a woman. It was because it just looked so awkward and uncomfortable. All kisses look awkward and uncomfortable. The realest ones look awkward and uncomfortable. Was it exploitative to keep showing it over and over and over again? Sure, but we watched, and that's why people did it. So don't act like you're not, uh, you're all offended because he kissed another man. Hey, all kisses look bad. And we're interested in these kinds of things because we have that train wreck mentality. So it's over, it's done with, it makes for great TV, and these are TV decisions not whether or not you're going to be personally offended. I think personally you were offended because maybe Michael Sam and his boyfriend, maybe they're more in love than you and your significant other. Maybe he's a better kisser. Who knows? But let's move on, shall we? Okay, second thing about the NFL draft, where are the running backs? There's a lot of hand-wringing and teeth-gnashing about why there were so few running backs chosen in the first round. The first pick was at number 54, Bishop Sankey. What a great name by the Tennessee Titans. Hey, Jeff Fisher's former team. It's the longest wait for running back to be drafted in NFL history. Folks, it's quarterback league now. We all know that. And we also know that non-first-run running backs can be very productive. Is it a waste of a first-round pick? Are 1,000-yard rushers a dime a dozen? Perhaps. Perhaps it's more important to get the guys who will chase the quarterbacks and get the quarterbacks in the first round than it is a running back. Not to get too heavy nerdy on you, and that was my nickname in college, by the way, heavy nerdy. In the last five seasons, there have been 14 different running backs in the top five in terms of total rushing yards. Six of those were taken in the first round. That's less than 50%. Four in the second round one in the third round, one in the fifth, one in the sixth, and in the case of Arian Foster, one undrafted free agent. And we're talking some heavy names on here. Jamal Charles, Marshawn Lynch, Michael Turner, Adrian Peterson, who was a first-round pick, as you know. The top five active rushers in the NFL, uh, top five active rushers, not all time, but the active rushers, of which there are two over 10,000 and three approaching 8,000, three were the first-round draft picks, one in the second, one in the third. Look, running back, folks, it's a short-term plug-and-play position. I mean, the average lifespan of a good running back is three to four years. Look at Alfred Morris, sixth-round draft pick. Last two years, he's been the top five. His rookie year and his second year in the top five in terms of total yards. Sixth round. So there's no need to panic. Look, and Adrian Peterson comes along once every decade or so. But for the most part, a sixth or seventh rounder can still lead a team to glory. Or can lead a team to the playoffs one year and to 3-13 and 13 the next if you're Alfred Morris. It's not Alfred Morris's fault, though. So let's not panic because running backs aren't taken. Okay, They're out there. It's just we can see now that you don't have to draft one in the first round for success. Look at Trent Richardson of the Colts. How did he work out? And he was a first-round draft pick. 
Lastly, Genevian Clowney, or Jadevian Clowney, top pick by the Houston Texas. There are many people who said that the fact that he took plays off in his last year to protect his draft status was no big deal. If you recall, with South Carolina, there was some question about his heart and his commitment that perhaps he was playing, uh, I don't want to say lazy, not the right word, but he was taking some plays off to protect himself, didn't want to get injured. Sat out a couple games for what appeared to be a, a nominal injury. And the NFL scouts, the NFL experts say, well, you, you ignore this because he's a once-in-a-lifetime talent. But you can't ignore this. Just a little word of caution and a word of warning to Houston Texans and Houston Texans fans. You can't ignore it for this reason. What if it's a contract year? He's coming up on the, his second contract, his contract extension. What if he takes plays off then? If he's trying to protect himself last year, protect his status as a number one draft pick or potential number one draft pick, who's to say? that he's not going to take plays off when it's time for him to get a new contract. He doesn't, maybe he doesn't want to get hurt before he signs the big mega deal. And I'm not saying he's going to do this. but And I would not obsess about this, Texans or Texan fans, but I wouldn't ignore it either. Just a little word of caution, a little word of warning. Okay, that this, Just because he did it once doesn't mean he's never going to do it again. All right, so years from now, you can dust off this tape and listen to it and say, by God, the bitterness and rage show was correct. Nor not, what do I know? Okay, uh, Steve Kerr. Uh, Steve Kerr. Earlier this week, he signed a five-year deal to coach not the New York Knicks, as everybody thought, including this guy, uh, but to coach the Golden State Warriors. And we'll talk about Mark Jackson getting fired in a moment after only winning 51 games with the Golden State Warriors. Uh, he said no to Phil Jackson and the New York Knicks. And my question becomes, what's the deal with this guy? First of all, saying no to Phil Jackson, the Pope of the National Basketball Association. It takes big basketballs to do that. And I, I'm, and I say that because it does. And I say that because this guy has no coaching experience. But yet, somehow, somehow he's the hottest commodity out there. And why? It's simple. If Phil Jackson says that Steve Kerr is a hot coaching commodity, then by decree, Steve Kerr is a hot coaching commodity. Phil Jackson could say that one of those wind-up chimps that bangs symbols together would be a great coach, and that wind-up chimp would be granted an interview with the Warriors, the Knicks, and any other team looking for a coach. So if Phil Jackson decrees that you walk on water as a coach, then you shall as a coach, walk on water. So, perhaps another reason for the Steve Kerr hysteria is look what Jason Kidd did with the Brooklyn Nets. So perhaps we'll see the same thing again with another former player, first-year coach with no experience. Maybe a little Jason Kidd overload. Steve Kerr was a vital part of the second Bulls three-peat. He was an, he's an excellent broadcaster on TNT with Marv Albert, and he was a serviceable general manager for the Phoenix Suns, although, full disclosure, he's a team he partially owned. So how much competition could there have been for that job? I mean, when you own the team, it's be kind of difficult if you weren't hired to be the general manager. So this doesn't make him a good coach, being a good player, being a good broadcaster, being a—he was above average as a general manager. I mean, he did some good things. You can look it up on the on the Wikipedia, uh, the things that Steve Kerr accomplished as a general manager. But it doesn't make him a good coach, or it may not make him a good coach. I don't know. 
Maybe he'll be a great coach, but we don't know. There are other coaches out there, plenty of names. You're George Carl, you're Stan Van Gundy, who's now the coach and president of the Detroit Pistons. And there's Brian Shaw, there's Derek Fisher, there's players out there, or I should say potential coaches out there. But they weren't given the Midas touch. They weren't decreed by Lord Jackson. In terms of his decision-making, I mean, look, here's one piece of evidence that he's a good decision-maker. Taking the Warriors over the Knicks is not something that must have kept Steve Kerr up at night because there's much more in the cupboard with the Golden State Warriors. You've got the best shooter in the National Basketball Association, Steph Curry. You've got a great backcourt, the curry Clay Thompson backcourt, maybe the best in the NBA right up there with, God help me for saying this, the Washington Wizards backcourt of John Wall and Bradley Beal. So it's a good choice instead of the dysfunction that awaits him in New York with the owner James Dolan and Carmelo Anthony and all that mess that's there. But I will say this, Stevie, if you don't win at least 45 games with that team, a team that fired Mark Jackson, its coach, because he won 51 games but couldn't win in the playoffs, apparently that must be the reason. We're talking about the Warriors. The Warriors don't win 50 games every year, folks. The Golden State Warriors. If he can't win 45 games at least next season with that team, then he ought to be permanently banned along with Donnie Tokowitz. Maybe, in fact, if and when Donald Sterling owns another team, perhaps a roller derby team, perhaps a major league lacrosse team, maybe Steve Kerr ought to be his coach. But you can't win 50, 45 games with that team there is something seriously, seriously wrong with you. But good luck, Steve. You're certainly a nice enough guy. You certainly deserve the chance to coach. Maybe Phil Jackson will say that I can be a great coach, and I'll see you all in New York. Andre Johnson of the Houston Texans, Houston Texans wide receiver, he wants out of the OTAs, of the off-season training that they do. Andre Johnson is frustrated by losing, and he has said... That because he's tired of the losing, he's going to take himself out of the OTAs, the off-season training activities. And I say to you this, Andre, zip it. This is not how you stop the losing, by hurting your own team. You don't stop the losing and end the frustration by being yet another NFL wide receiver prima donna. You want the losing to stop? You're going to have a new quarterback this year. It's not going to be Matt Schaub. He's several thousand miles away in Los Angeles. You need to get your helmet on. You thought I was going to say something else. Get your helmet on and get out on the field. The way to stop losing is not to complain about your team and sit out like a petulant little baby. The way to stop the losing is to start building up a rapport and a chemistry with your new quarterback, whomever that may be this year. So, Andre... It was fun while it lasted. Back on the field you go. And that brings us to the newest feature, the fast food news. Look, folks, I'm a man who likes to eat. I could spare, for those of you who need to gain some weight, I can spare some pounds of my own. Yes, I'm a man of larger carriage. And I loves to eat. So I thought, let's mix it up a little bit. Maybe just step away from the sports just for a smidge to talk about some fast food news. I need a better title, by the way. This, this title, as I said earlier, stinks. Feel free to send your suggestions, and I told you how you can reach me. 
at bitter and rage on your Twitter machines, uh, bitterness and rage at gmail.com. And on Facebook, there's a bitterness and rage show fan page. So the um, new feature will be fast food news, or as they call it in the business, it's called QSR. It's not called fast food. It's quick service restaurants. I want to talk about a couple things. First and foremost, the death of Herb Lotman. And what you're saying out there, those of you still listening, who is Herb Lotman? Amongst other things, Herb Lotman is the man that conceived the chicken nugget. Ah, yes, the chicken nugget. That's why the man is my hero. Well, he was my hero. He's no longer with us. And the man will be missed. The man shall be mourned for bringing joy in McNugget form to millions and millions of people, myself included. Two other things that seem to be, are going to be tried out in the fast food world, excuse me, in the QSR world. Uh, Countertop Coke dispensers. If you've been to a California Tortilla or a Baja Fresh or one of those places, uh, a Fuddruckers perhaps, excuse me for getting too local, they have Coke machines where you dial up with a touch screen the kind of soda that you want with the flavors and then the add-on syrups. But now they want to test these. Certain restaurants want to put these on the table. Delicious. Great idea. Wonderful idea. As opposed to what McDonald's wants to do, which is not such a great idea. Back in a second. Here's what McDonald's wants to do. Uh, In Southern California, McDonald's wants to experiment with this, what they call the horchata frappe blended ice drink made with vanilla, a hint of cinnamon and coffee, and topped with whipped cream and caramel drizzle. Additionally, they want what they're going to introduce also in California, Northern California, what they call the shaken flavor fries. So you can take your McDonald's fries and sprinkle one of three seasoning flavors on them, garlic parmesan, spicy buffalo, or zesty ranch. McDonald's, enough. Just stop. McDonald's, you're like crack. Once people go to the arches, they never want to leave. Even little babies, little infants know the place to go is McDonald's. So enough. Don't try to change things, and don't have us shake anything on our fries or come up with some frou-frou cinnamon vanilla frappe. You're beautiful just the way you are, babe. No need. No need at all to start changing things. New McDonald's. Why bother? And last and certainly not least, that brings us to the Bitterness and Rage show Dope of the Week. And the Dope of the Week? Soccer fans. Yes, I know. It's not a specific person. Soccer fans. And I bring this up because this is, and I hate to laugh at this, and you may laugh at this too, but this is from the New York Daily News, May 5th, 2014. Brazilian soccer fan killed by toilet bowl thrown from stadium stands. And just to give you an idea of what happened, some, I know, shocking, rowdy fans at at Aruda Stadium, which, by the way, uh, is in Brazil, where the World Cup, the biggest event, some say the biggest event in sports, but certainly the biggest event in soccer, is going to take place. Some rowdy fans ripped not one, not two, but three toilets from the stadium bathroom and tossed them from the stands during a draw between Santa Cruz and Piranha. One of the toilets struck a fan 
right in the face, killing him instantly. Now, there's nothing funny about someone dying. And some of you may be trying to suppress laughter, imagining toilets raining down from the stands. But you soccer fans are the dope of the week because why? Why must you be so violent, creatively violent, but so violent? Can't you be like football fans, real football tackle football with helmets and people beating each other into locks on the frozen tundra. Football fans throw beer at each other. They vomit on each other. They call each other names. But they don't tear toilets out of the wall and throw them off the stands. They do not, and I'm reading further from this article in the New York Daily News, they don't uh, beat up the referee. On the, They don't uh, stoned to death and decapitate a referee like has happened. They don't kill each other. Maybe figuratively, but not literally. So soccer fans, although it was very creative, using a toilet as a dangerous weapon of mass destruction, you, soccer fans, are the bitterness and rage show dope of the week. All right, everyone. It's been another fantastic show. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for supporting me. Thank you all for letting me do this time and time again. Uh, the dope of the week also is me because it'll be a while before the next show. It's gonna, it might be a little longer than two weeks. I know you'll be very impatient, but you're going to have now three shows you can listen to in the meantime while you wait for me. So thank you all again. Please remember the Bitterness and Rage show is a Miyasoti Cologne production. And good night, everybody.